All right, driving the culture forward. This is Hype Beast Radio. My name is Ben Rosen. Today we have a very special episode. We're sitting down with comedian, actor, writer, producer, occasional national security threat, uh-huh. Canadian, <laughs> and probably my best known celebrity doppelganger, Seth Rogen. There you how go. Are you doing, yeah. <laughs> how are you if doing, I man? cared more about my hair, you're how I could look. That's what I've. <laughs> and so, <laughs> if I was better groomed, <laughs> it's nice. It's aspirational. <laughs> I am flattered. <laughs> so we're sitting here today. We're at the Eleven Howard Hotel in uh, Soho. And so leading off, we kind of want to talk about Hilarity for Charity right off the bat. That's Great. the f- latest project you have. Uh, it's a charity event. I guess you could probably tell us a little bit better. What was the genesis of Hilarity for Charity? Uh, we've been doing it for uh, six years. We've had uh, these events. Uh, basically, my mother-in-law uh, has Alzheimer's, and we started dealing it with it, me and my wife, um, when we were in our mid-20s, basically, which was something we never thought we would be dealing with at that age, and it was something that no one we knew was talking about and that no one in the culture really seemed to be talking about that much and just didn't seem like something that was getting a lot of attention at all, and so... And also, like, it's a very depressing disease. There's no cure. There's no treatment at all. So we just felt like we had no recourse or nothing to do. So we were like, we'll throw a comedy show and we'll give the money to Alzheimer's charities. And slowly it grew. The first one we did was almost 10 years ago when we had um, Aziz Ansari performed and Hannibal Burris and Bruno Mars was the headliner. And it was, like, a pretty great show. And... um, and then it kind of grew and grew over the years and slowly became like a legitimate charity organization. And we partnered with Netflix this year um, to try to bring it to just as big an audience as possible. And um, yeah, it, it, it seemed to go pretty well. And I hope, uh, yeah, that we get to keep doing stuff like that. I mean, yeah, spreading the word has been important and a challenge. And I feel like we've even seen the needle move a little bit culturally in the time that we've been out there like advocating for it. And and you mentioned that you got a whole bunch of people to do this year's one, especially there was, I think like we, we were talking earlier, Post Malone is in it, Tiffany yeah. Haddish, a lot of, and it, the Muppets are in it. The Muppets are in it, yeah. And uh, so, John uh, Mulaney and um, Kumail Nanjiani, Sasha Baron Cohen, Michael Che, uh, Sarah Silverman, uh, Michelle Wolf, who's super, super funny. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Who's willing to come support Alzheimer's? Yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, it's exactly. You know, it's hard also because, like, you know, my sensibility is not one that one would generally associate with a charity event in any way, shape, or form. And I think that was something also that we wanted to do was make. I kind of wanted to make a charity event for people who the last thing in the world they ever thought they would want to do was watch a charity event. Right. And to try to really make it uh, play against type as much as possible and just feel like a big, crazy comedy show. And then we kind of hopefully like lull you into an emotional place by kind of springing um, some kind of uh, uh, reality uh, on you at one point. And then we kind of bring you back out of it. But um, I kind of, yeah, wanted it to have all those elements, basically. And and like you said, it kind of cuts through the stuffiness of the usual like charity fundraiser atmosphere. Yes. This is this is a special with a lot of dick jokes in it. There is. I smoke a vape pen through my pee hole at one point, which you can't, which I can't do. But I in I, real life. wouldn't surprise me if I heard kids were doing that though. <laughs> in the show, I make a convincing case that and, I can do it though. <laughs> but 
because it's got all that material, is anybody a hard sell? Like, are the Muppets kind of like, nah, we can't do dick jokes? Like, is there the any. The Muppets did not do dick jokes. Yeah, with the Muppets, it had to be that they themselves, like the Muppets bits, there, there's a couple of them, themselves are in no way dirty. It's very wholesome. Yes, like, they, you they keep are them full a- on in Muppet territory. <laughs> I, 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 nor, nor would I want to corrupt the Muppets with my dick jokes. Yeah, thank God uh, we, yes, kept, exactly. we kept Kermit 100%. I did not try to, uh, to mix those two things. Yeah. So, do you ask, like, how do you go about asking some of these, like, big names, these kind of, like, A-list celebrities and whatnot? Like, is anybody um, kind of a hard sell on it? Is anybody- no, and almost all of them have participated in our events in the past. Mm-hmm. Like, um, literally 90% of the people have done other hilarity for charity events over the years. Um, and the few people who hadn't were really cool, were enthusiastic. I mean, a lot of people honestly seem like somewhat happy that they have an opportunity to be charitable while doing the thing they would be doing anyway. Right. <laughs> like I'm not asking them to go like build houses in, you know, the middle of like nowhere. I'm, you know, like they're doing comedy. Um, and so it, I think it's nice to offer people sometimes an opportunity to be incredibly charitable while just doing the thing that they would already be doing basically. Right. Yeah. And, you mentioned that a lot of people have done previous hilarity for charity events, and you also, within your oeuvre, I guess is the word, but like you have movies where you work with a lot of the same people uh-huh. over and over again, from Freaks and Geeks onward, kind yes. of. And so for I, 20 years, I've worked with the same people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like Jason Siegel, James Franco, uh-huh. Jonah Hill. Like, I've always wondered, are you guys as close friends in real life, or is that kind of like one of those, it's always on screen, but it's hard to get everybody in the same room now? No, I'm very good friends with a lot of those people in real life. I just was in Joshua Tree with Martin Starr, uh, who was on Freaks and Geeks. Mm-hmm. He's on Silicon Valley now. Um, I literally was, I, I, yeah, Franco's one of my best friends. Um, Siegel is someone, he moved to, uh, like, oh, hi, so he's not in L.A. as much, but I still see him when he's around. And John Daly I, I run into, and Busy is someone. Busy Phillips was on Freaks and Geeks. I talk to her. I see her quite a bit um you know i uh regular you know at parties and stuff like that and um uh, uh i we have a lot of friends in common still and so um no jonah i see like um i i see a lot of these people like, are you uh, aware of jonah hill's cultish following on social media for like streetwear and stuff like that Jonah's always, I mean, he's like from Los Angeles and has been skate, you know, you know, a part of kind of like skater culture since the nineties, which is when, you know, I'd say a lot of this kind of stuff kind of started. And, uh, I've always thought he was a good dresser. I'm glad to hear other people appreciate it. But it's like, there's like a cult. There's like, there's there's another podcast. He's always out there with the, yeah, he's got good, he he reps some solid brands. Yeah. There's, there's another podcast within like the whole streetwear world basically called failing upwards. And they have this thing where they do the Jonah Hill fit watch. That's so funny. Like every paparazzi shot of him smoking a cigarette on the corner. Yeah. yeah, Like a fancy hoodie. Like they just throw it up there instantly. No, you you got (laughs) to, he represents. (laughs) I want to know if he knows though. That's like the next thing. Yeah. But basing myself off that freaks and geeks question, what's sort of like the best part, the best pro and the best con about working with people that you're like real life friends with? Um, it, the best part is that you, uh, you know, 
I, I only work with I have a lot of friends who are actors who I don't work with. Right. <laughs> like I don't just work with people because I like them. I yeah. work with them because they seem like they will be additive to the things that I'm working on. And to me, that's ultimately like the most important thing. Like if I didn't like these people, I would still work with them because I think they're really talented and um and and you know um, and they work really well. We work well together, you know? And so um, I think it's good because, I mean, for every reason I work with them, you know, they're, they're talented, they have good ethic, they, you know, they, they, they try very hard, they're enthusiastic, they're passionate, they're collaborative. Um, what's a bummer is like, because everyone gets weird with work sometimes, myself included, and when you're friends with the person, it honestly makes it harder to deal with. <laughs> like, when, when there's no personal connection to someone and you're having a work issue, it's often much easier to deal with without, like, those emotions connected and without knowing that there's potential ramifications that spill out of the work and yeah. that could spill into your personal lives, you know? And so... Um, yeah, I'd say that those are the pros and the cons and also like, you know, making movies and stuff is like, it's long days. It, it takes, you're often in some like weird city. So in those moments, being with people that you like a lot and know well, um, is really nice because like, again, it's just having a job where you get to be around people you like is, is nice, but it's mostly a, the fact that I think they make the work itself better. Um, yeah. And if anything, sometimes it is uh, a little uncomfortable working with your friends. <laughs> now, segueing to someone, you mentioned people that we don't really know that well, someone that I don't know at all, and I don't know if anybody really knows who the hell he is, the disaster artist. Yeah. Do you have any Tommy Wiseau stories? What was it like working with Tommy Wiseau? Man, it was interesting. It's not disappointing. He he's not he one of those guys. Yeah, he's not one of those guys you meet and you're like, oh, he was more normal than I thought he would be. Like you meet him and he's a hundred percent bizarre. Um, I mean, there's 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 like too many. I was I was really nervous about him, honestly. Like as I you know I was a producer on the movie was kind of my main role, you know, and so I was mostly just terrified that he would derail the the process. <laughs> directing it. Yeah, or just logistically hold us up. So here's actually what happened is funny is contractually he had to be in the movie. Right. Uh, we had to shoot a scene with him in the movie. We didn't have to keep it in the movie contractually. We just had to film the scene with him in the movie. Okay. So and that scene had to be with James Franco, who's playing him in the movie. And we kept telling him, like, if you would agree to do the scene with someone else, it has a much better chance of being in the movie. Because you and him in the same scene is inherently... Illogical. Weird, because you are you, and and you can only be you. And even if you are trying to play someone who's not you, you're still you. And he was like, no, I want to be with uh, James. And so we filmed the scene with him and James, and it was one of those things where it's like, as we're filming it, we're just like... Like, this won't be in the movie, but we got to do it. So we film it. We cut the movie together. And we realize that we didn't legally clear the score from the movie The Room. Like, the, 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 the orchestral score. The, right. The music, you know. And after the movie was all done, we had to go back to Tommy and be like, we need... Um, and he owns all the rights to everything of course to do does, with the room. Yeah. So we're like, we need to license the score from you. And his first question is, how am I seeing in the movie turn out? How am I seeing? How, how's my scene? And, and we were like, 
and he must have known. He must have realized that contractually he didn't. He forgot to make Jesus. it that we had to keep the scene in the movie. So that was his first question: How am I seeing? And we're like, Well, it's, it, it it turned out okay, but we we technically it's not in the movie anymore. And he said, Well, if you want my music, then you have to put scene in movie somewhere. Oh my god! <laughs> Which we did, but he again contractually didn't specify where it had to be. So after like literally completely at the end of the you credits, marveled him of the movie marveled him like wait like not even marvel will run like a few main titles and then right. the scene will, it's like you got to sit there for like 15 minutes of shit to see <laughs> the scene that isn't the and it is funny and in a weird way like i'm kind of grateful it happened because it like tommy god bless him like somehow got his fucking his wish his stamp on the movie somehow like he infiltrated it did he get uh, weird with franco uh, not really. If anything, like, things would kind of, like, it seemed kind of cathartic for him in a weird right. way. It seemed like it was the end of, like, he felt like it was the end of his arc, kind of. Or not even, like, he felt like it was a part of the arc. Like, I remember being at the premiere and looking at him. And there's, like, a lot of famous people there. It's at, like, the Chinese Theater in Westwood. Like, it's a big Hollywood movie premiere. It's an event, yeah. You know? And... And I remember looking at him and, like, he wasn't, he almost was acting as though not only did he think this was all going to happen one day, he was a little annoyed it didn't happen a few years earlier. <laughs> like, there was no sense of, like, I can't believe this. It was more like, it's about time, which is which is exactly what Tommy is, you know, that's how, that should be Tommy's attitude. Like, he's a, he's a madman, you know, and that's... That is the attitude fitting of a madman. <laughs> Speaking of madmen, perfect transition to yeah. my Kanye West question. Oh, yeah. You're one of the first human beings that heard Yeezus, I think. That was sort of the... Well, with the album that I had heard was not... none. Like, it was almost entirely different stuff. Like, I don't well, know... What, what was the story with that? You were in, like, a limo with him. I think you, you've told yeah. it a couple of times. Yeah, but... the story was... I was at the Mercer Hotel with my wife, where I used to stay sometimes, and he uh, would record there and stay there. Um, and I think lived around the corner from there. And it was, like, pretty soon after we had done that video, uh, the Bound video... With you, with you and Franco on the yeah, bikes? Yeah, so it was after Jesus. Okay, it would so have been the, the life, life of Pablo. Pablo. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and he kept canceling. I was in Vancouver making a movie, um, and he kept canceling shows uh, mm. in Vancouver. He canceled like three of them, and I kept and I had tickets to every one. They kept rescheduling it, and he kept canceling it. Um, and so I saw him in the lobby of the hotel, and it was just literally me and my wife were walking in, and, and he was there with, with the guy, and um, I'd met him a bunch of times over the years um uh we used to work out at the same with the same trainer and so I, we would work out together sometimes um which is hilarious What's it like and, working out with kanye west yeah it was funny yeah it was uh yeah he's motivational he didn't like it as much as i did <laughs> like, yeah he, he was not in it to win it uh, he was trudging through it like everyone else but um yeah we started talking and i was like yo i keep trying to see you in concert and you keep canceling the show and it's a bummer and he was like, well, do you want to hear your... He's like, I'll, I'll play you my new stuff right now if you want. And we were like, okay. And he had like a like a van, like a limo van, like one of those big like Mercedes like limo van like things. A party bus kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, out front of the Mercer. And he brought us into it. And he had his laptop that he always carries around. And he like plugged it into the sound system. 
And he's like, I haven't recorded any of the lyrics yet, so I'll just do those live for you, and I'll Whoa. just play the beats for you, basically. And he had like sixteen tracks of beats, and he would like play it, and he'd be like, okay. And this part I haven't written. Da 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 da. Then I come in like, bah, 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 bah. and then he was just like rap for like two hours in our faces, you like got the as fucking close. Concert, though. Yeah, we got the we got a personal two hour Kanye West concert. And do you guys still work out together? Is that like someone that you've seen recently, or is he kind of like? I haven't run into him in a while, but wow. I did see a show in L.A. with the floating stage, and it was fucking incredible. I yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so Kanye should definitely text you, re reignite that friendship. Hit me up. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, uh, yeah, but I am uh, I love Kanye. I'm a huge fan of Kanye's, like, I'm, uh, and I always have been, and, and I'm, I'm happy. You're a big rap fan, too. Like, you've kind of, like, you've... Yeah. Like a pronounced Wu Tang fan, you've worked with the RZA uh -huh. a like couple of times. Like all white Jewish people, <laughs> yeah, Wu -Tang I think that we, it's a genetic thing. <laughs> it is. Once you reach thirteen is, years old, there is a gene. Yeah, and so and and you had Post Malone in the in the special as well. Um, so what's it been like? What what's it like working with rappers? Is that sort of like something that has been funny for you? It's interesting. Musicians in general are psychotic. Yeah, I find like and have a much worse grasp of reality than other people in the entertainment industry from my experience with them and i think it's because they're a hundred percent insulated like they're almost never doing something normal. that they kind of don't want to be doing or that's normal surrounded by normal people like the most famous actor like tom cruise acts in a scene with just some guy <laughs> sometimes yeah. you know like in every tom cruise movie there's a scene where for 12 hours he's just acting in a scene with like some day player who he's never met who isn't famous who is just a guy and on a movie set there's electricians and carpenters and painters and and they're a real significant at sometimes they're a much more important part of the scene than you are as the actor right. the guy moving the camera is more important than you are often the guy who's cueing the explosion is more important than you are often the guy who's shining the light through the window is more important than you are sometimes so as an actor Actors are also insane for the most part and have a very terrible sense of where they lie in the world and, and heavily equate the way they are treated with their own success, which is very unhealthy behavior. And um, and I think, but, but even I think the most famous actors have to interact with like regular people from time to right. time and musicians never, ever have to do that. They never have to interact with regular people. They are always surrounded. They all roll with like crazy honorages. They have, they, they that completely insulate them from every interaction with right. any normal person. And their job doesn't really require them interacting with normal people. And I feel like uh, if you interact with fans, those aren't normal people in that moment. No, they're people that are just like freaking funny, out. like jizzing all over you. Like that's not normal. Yeah. Like uh, that's not normal at all. And so, um, but I don't find rappers, honestly, to be any crazier than any other musicians. Like we've worked with other pop stars and, and some of them are incredibly nice and awesome. Like we've had Miley Cyrus in a few of our things. And Snoop is like one of the most normal guys and like isn't surrounded by a thousand people and seems to have probably like as he's gotten older like scaled back a lot of that stuff and now he's just happy like sitting in you know like sitting in a trailer smoking weed with like one person yeah. and like uh, it, it just seems like um but musicians in well, general the craziest musician 
Like, there's got to be like a. I don't know. Like, I the ones I can't even. I went to the Grammys once, mm-hmm. and it was like super interesting because I've been to like the Oscars a bunch of times, and I've been to a lot of these award shows, and like the Grammys was like so different from any other award show because like. <laughs> Because of all, like, the security... I remember just standing there holding a drink and, like, a guy just, like... Like, I got shoved by, like, Beyonce security guard that night. Lil Wayne security guard almost killed me just because I was trying to go up and say hi to him. To that, Lil Wayne. Yeah, like, uh, Lil Wayne. Like, uh, the, and, and uh, like, a little... I was like, hey, Lil... And then just, just like, boom! boom. Like, um... And that night, I remember, like, Eminem was there and invited me into his dressing room. And, 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 like, I had a beer. And they were like, oh, you can't even bring that in there. And they were like, Eminem can't even look at beer? Oh, no. Like, <laughs> that's crazy. Like, it was just, like, the level of infrastructure set up around each person was staggering. Yeah. It was just, like, truly remarkable how it was like, oh, like, each of these people has, like, has, like a, an entire, like, company's worth of infrastructure that surrounds them at all times. You know, um, but again, yeah, and then some of them seem to cut because then, like, I live in Malibu and, and I see like Miley Cyrus at like the coffee shop, just like alone with her. Yeah, 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 literally, just like, and, and and it almost seems like she's come out of it on the other side a little. I feel like people maybe when they first have access to all that stuff, um, but and then some of them are just so famous that they need it, and I think other like Beyonce can't like walk around like no. she needs a hundred people surrounding her, and I think other musicians maybe see that and they're like, oh, I want that, but they don't need that, but they but they want it, you know? They what pretend I mean? until yeah, it's real. exactly. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah, musicians are a strange breed, and actors are like blown away by musicians. Like yeah. like if it's 10 of the most famous actors in a room and a musician they all like come in and they all turn into like blubbering like fans. They turn into you fan know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And who's the most normal of like the artists that you th- like surprisingly like Snoop Dogg I think Miley maybe- Cyrus is incredibly normal. Snoop Dogg is incredibly normal. Like I think um you know, I like a lot of the Wu Tang guys are very Method Man is very low key and like again, like I gauge it for me is just like who has a thousand people around them and who who has who maybe one or two people the with them. Yeah, uh, that to me is like, and again, there's maybe a few people that need those thousand people with them, but there's like two or three of those people on yeah. the planet, and nobody else really needs a thousand people around them. Even Kanye doesn't go around with a thousand people. He like drives himself to work. <laughs> Like he, like he, it's not like he to me is 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 kind of normal, you know. Is yeah. on the more less normal insulated side of things, side of things. interacting with. I, I like I see him at the coffee shop I go to sometimes, and he's just there, like buying coffee. Like it's not like he has like a thousand people around him going to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. One um, of our guests on here is like he works for Kanye, and yeah. we, we were talking about that in one of the interviews. It was like or I think it was before we started recording and I, and I asked him, I was like, like, do you guys just hang out? Is it just kind of like a business relationship? Like how, what is that like? And he was like, man, like we were, we were at some office and he basically was like, you know, man, sometimes I forget that you moved across the country to work here. Yeah. (laughs) Like he had like this moment, like as a boss, like, like, man, you picked up and came all the way over here for me. That's awesome. And that's really nice. I've been, uh, do you want to go to a movie? All I've been doing lately is working out and going to the movies with my, with my wife. So if you want to go to the movie and I was like, that's the most normal that's like a friend like asking for a bro date. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, exactly. Like it, it yeah, I think he's oddly 
normal <laughs> yeah. yeah like he's literally become a calabasas dad yeah exactly yeah it's interesting so yeah musicians though are like it's fascinating to me and i like working with them you know like um and and i like putting them in our in our stuff and i like having them on our sets like i i it's cool like it, it just they bring a completely different energy um but yeah it's i was with like I, uh, Travis Scott interviewed me uh, a few years ago, and I was like in the studio with him a little bit. That's like where you hang out with musicians right. in the studio, which is funny. Um, <laughs> it'd be like if you only hung out with actors on movie sets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what's funny about musicians. It's like they invite you to watch them work, yeah, like socially, kind of, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, and I remember like. Honestly, mostly what I remember thinking is like it's just so loud. Like it's I, I loud it's here. just so loud. There's so much weed here. <laughs> I just the weed I can deal with is just loud. <laughs> and again, a good transition for my next question. There's a there's a joke in the special where you say something along the lines of Steven Spielberg never took me seriously as an actor after he saw me smoke a joint. <laughs> yeah. Is that first of all, what's the story behind that? And my question off that is do you think and I, I've watched most of your movies, I grew up watching them and I smoked a lot of weed watching your movies. Do you think that weed helped or hindered you as a as a creative? Um I mean okay wait, wait, wait which one first? The, the Spielberg okay. story first. That's... I, uh, the Spielberg story is I was at my wife remembered it better than I did actually. We were at a party I can't remember which one, but it was like a Hollywood party with a lot of famous people at it and we like we like it was we were in like an outside like big balcony it was at a hotel and we found like a staircase to kind of go down outside that like kind of looped around the corner and like a few of us uh were gonna smoke a joint and um and then it was one of those things where it was almost like your parents like spielberg kind of like peered around the corner and like saw us smoking a joint at the bottom of the stairs and then like came down the stairs kind of like a dad and we're all Papa just like oh spielberg. no he's coming he's coming he's coming and he did just want to come down and talk but there was like this uh, unmistakable feeling that we had been busted, Fuck. and that and that he kind of didn't think it was that cool, and almost like he was scoping out who was there smoking weed, which I probably am like a hundred percent projecting onto him, and I would n uh, never doubt that the real reason Steven Spielberg never works with me is because I'm not as talented as the people he puts in his movies. But I think that it, it, yeah, it was more a joke, but that did happen. Steven Spielberg did catch me smoking weed, and it did feel like my dad caught me smoking <laughs> Papa weed. Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I don't know if weed has helped or hindered me, honestly. Like, um, like has it limited you, sort of? Like, do you feel like you got typecast as the stoner guy? Or I mean, I produce and write most yes. of the movies. So I it's mean, your fault. So if, uh, yeah, if I felt like I didn't want to be doing that, I, it's, it's, yeah, I have an avenue to stop it. Um, and, like, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, to me, it was... It was some. I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia. Weed was always like a huge part of our culture and our lives. Like from the time I was young, from I was 13 years old, 12 years old. Like it was so easy to buy weed, and it was pretty much culturally acceptable. I mean, there would be like competing weed dealers at the 7-Eleven across the street from our high school every Friday after school. Like a few of them. Like right. you had your choice, and they would just. I remember it was 10 bucks a gram and you would give them like 30 bucks and they would give you like their backpack with like different kinds of weed in it and shit like that. And this was in like the fucking.
fucking early 90s. Yeah, and we standard now. And we had like purple weed and red weed and weed with hair weed with hairs on it and crystals in it like it was shit that after i moved to la i didn't even see for like it took years for them to catch up right. like we were smoking really good weed and it was something almost everyone did and then when i started making movies and shit i was like why is it such a weird <laughs> like it seems so taboo and it seemed like um if characters in movies were smoking weed, it was like something that defined them solely as idiots, basically. Yeah. Um, and that defined them as a hundred percent losers and like non-productive members of society. And I remember 40 old virgin was the first like R rated movie we were making that I, I was a producer on it and I was in it. And there was a scene where I was like, why don't we, why don't we smoke weed in this? Why don't like we're playing? It was me and Paul Rudd playing video games. And I was like, why don't we pass a That's pipe a, back and forth? No, I know you're and bad. it was actually, yeah. And it was like, I think the first time maybe in any like mainstream movie where characters were just casually smoking weed and there was no mention made of it. Like it wasn't the point of the scene. It didn't define us as, idiots other things were defining us as idiots the weed was not the thing defining us as idiots and it was like a huge kind of like revelation for me where i was like oh it's just not a part of mainstream movies unless it's like cheech and chong harold and you kumar. know or harold and kumar and then you know, we made Pineapple Express, which to us was like, what if a weed movie was like a real movie, basically? Yeah. Like, what if it wasn't? What if it had all the elements of a real movie? If it had action and excitement and a plot and a relationship and characters and um and it was at the time like seemed crazy, honestly. Like when people were like, Oh, you wanna make like a a, a medium sized budget weed action, action movie, movie that like where the characters are stoned but they also are the heroes <laughs> and there's not a very huge anti weed message to it it's just kind of the catalyst for things and like it it really yeah the time seemed crazy and then it knocked up I thought you know it's the same thing we smoke weed and like it, it was just one of the things where I was like me and my friends smoke weed it's what we do when we hang, hang out, out yeah. we it's like some people have a beer some people have coffee some we smoke weed like it's always been kind of like one of the things that is going on in most social situations that we are in um it felt dishonest to not include it in some way you how know? did it feel when they actually named a pineapple like a strain pineapple express after the movie was that like you made it was that yeah like it made me really regret not trademarking the name pineapple express for a strain of weed but you can't trademark names of weed strains because it's not federally legal i don't think so um but yeah it, but well i remember when we were writing the movie we said like if one day there is an actual strain of weed called pineapple express it means we did a, a good job at this because there wasn't and 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 now there is so uh we did a good job <laughs> we invented a weed and i i always i'm one of my favorite things like i i do a deep dive of research and stuff and i found out that your first movie is your first speaking role, I think, in film is Donnie Darko, right? Yeah, that was my first role in any movie. And your first line in any movie is, I like your boobs. I like your boobs, yeah. <laughs> Which has got to be the most emblematic. Like, that's your whole yes, career. It was they all, it. They it all stage all right there. You yeah. knew it. 100%. And so uh, as someone that smokes weed, as someone that likes movies, as someone that likes boobs, <laughs> do you ever rewatch Donnie Darko? Do you get it? You know, I actually have not seen that movie since... Uh, it came out. Um, 
which was a very long time ago. Um, I remember being like halfway through filming, uh, the director had a party, Richard, Richard, uh, Richard Kelly, the guy who directed the movie. And we were all there, we were super fucked up. And I remember uh, like going to him, like we were just talking and I was like, I gotta be honest, like I don't get the movie very much. And he, it like spun him out and like sent him down a hole. He was just like, I don't think anyone's going to get it. I was like, he's like, you're not the first person. He's like, in my head, it's, it's clear. I didn't want it to be a movie. People don't get. And I was like, no, I think it's cool. I think it's, it'll be one of those things where people kind of, people people will interpret it and question it in different ways. And he was like, fuck, I just want people to get it. (laughs) I was like, it's like the room, dude. That ship has sailed, man. Uh, It's super confusing. But, um, yeah, I didn't. I remember at the time thinking I don't quite get this, but now I think I get. I think it's one of those things. Also, like enough people have talked to me over the years about it, and I stayed friends with Richard Kelly, and I, I see him every once in a while, not that often, but I think I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll revisit it. Yeah, in like exactly. two weeks. Yeah, and to talk about the interview for a quick second. Yeah. What, how how scary is it to go from the guy that's making dick jokes in the movie? To being at the center of a national security kind of like the Sony hack and the North Korea scandal. Was it weird? Was it like it all happened overnight? Uh, Did you know that you were courting that kind of controversy? Yeah, 100%. Um, You know, we made a movie antagonizing like one of the most evil guys in the world. So we were very aware of what uh, that could... uh, Yeah, we were aware of what that could lead to. you know, and I thought it, I thought everyone who was on board was um, aware of that. Um, it was it was a bummer. It was it's one of those things that's taken a long time to process. I think exactly what happened, and I think it took some time to get away from it to kind of give us perspective on it. You know, um, like. The immediate thing was it just sucked because we had a movie that was going to come out in theaters that we'd been working on for a really long time that was going to do well, which is not something that happens all the time and not something we take for granted. Mm-hmm. And then that was, like, taken away, you know? Um, it, it didn't get the release it was supposed to. And, and so the, like, immediate, you know, thing that just sucked about it was that we were kind of robbed of what was going to be a very positive experience in our lives, in our careers, in that we were going to have a movie that we liked that was very edgy and controversial, and it was going to do well, you know? Um, And then that didn't happen. It was taken from theaters, and... um, and then, like, it, you know, people love to run with a story. It was one of those things that was really interesting. Like, I'd never been the center of, like, a real news story. I mean, and, and, and that's, like, a, a term I use loosely, real news story. Like, I'd never been the center of something that not just entertainment media was talking right. about, that the president was talking about, that, um, that CNN and BBC, and, you know, we were the kind of the front page of every, like, news, you know, website and paper uh, almost in the world for a little while. And so, um, it was weird. It was weird. And and I didn't know what to do. And at the end, I got really good advice from Sasha Baron Cohen, who's a very good friend of mine, who just said, don't say anything, just fucking keep working. And that's exactly what we did. Like I started filming the Steve job, like it all happened like in around Christmas. And then by like a few weeks into January, I was in San Francisco filming the, the Danny Boyle, Steve Jobs movie, and then we shot the pilot for Preacher 
uh, a couple in March or, or April or something like that. And then we like I we just kind of kept rolling, you know. And 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 what's weird is in the end is I honestly don't think I honestly don't think North Korea are the ones who hacked into Sony. Like I think it was an inside job, like a leak. Yeah, I think it was someone who had like a vendetta against someone, and I think like North Korea offered a good uh, like scapegoat, a scapegoat really. or just a good way to blow the story up even more. Um, yeah, like uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Like the more time I get from it, honestly, the less it seems like that's what happened. Right. Yeah. And and your production company, Point Gray, that's the name of your high school, right? Yeah. And that high school has produced a shitload of comedians and comic actors like it's like you i believe isn't nathan fielder an alumnus as well is yeah that we were on the we were on the improv team together for years i went to elementary school and high school with nathan i found that out from nardwar That's yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i've known yeah i've known nathan forever <laughs> is there anybody else from the high school or is it i mean evan goldberg who's my partner went to that high school and uh the guy kyle hunter who we wrote sausage party with and who is one of the creators of future man uh went to the same high school with mm-hmm. us um I think there's few, uh, a woman named Jesse Cruikshank who went on to be like a pretty popular like host um, for MTV and stuff like that. Uh, also went to high school with us. Um, yeah, it's weird. Uh, there was there was it was one of those things. Like a talent camp. <laughs> yeah, well, I think also like the we, it was just a normal. It was a public high school. Like we didn't have like an arts program or anything like that. Um, I think. In Vancouver, they, like, filmed a lot of shit, you know? Um, And they filmed stuff at our high school. Like, our high school is this beautiful old building that looked like a castle, kind of. And and so they would film stuff there. And I think that was one of those things that just, like, subtly put in people's heads, like... This is a job. This is a thing you could do. Like, it's not some, like, far-off, unobtainable magical thing it's like you're like oh no they're doing it in our science class yeah, like you can yeah it seems very real very tangible people's you know not mine or and not anyone i was even that good friends with but some people in the school or you knew you were like oh their dad like directs commercials or their dad does this or their mom works for like this movie production company you know and like it, it was one of those things that was just like around enough that i think it made it that pursuing it as a career didn't seem like totally fucking crazy, basically. And the reason I asked about the high school questions, we usually like to end on sort of a note where it's like, if you had like a time traveling machine, you go back, talk to the 13 year old Seth, the Wu-Tang Clan super fan. Yeah. (laughs) What sort of like sagely wisdom would you give him with the perspective of like current day Seth? What would be like the one piece of advice to get him on the right track or steer him in a different direction? I wouldn't say shit. (laughs) <laughs> let's go a, back yeah i mean i don't know i think i'm very happy with how my life has turned out and if time travels movies have taught me anything it's that uh, any microscopic input could turn turn everything in a horrible could direction fuck everything it could up. fuck everything up and i don't want to do that um no i don't know like i uh especially like i've been working since i was in high school like i always knew what i wanted to do i think that's what i was like as i've gotten older is one of the things that i think i'm like most fortunate about is that from the time i was 10 years old i knew i wanted to work in comedy and work in movies and um that was just like I always had something that I was working towards, you know, and I started writing super bad when I was 13 and I started doing stand-up comedy at around the same time. So um, even the high school version of me was ferociously pursuing 
never having to get a real job <laughs> basically and not having to like I, I mean I didn't even graduate I dropped out of high school because I was I started working and I didn't want I remember from a young age thinking, like I don't want to go to college I don't want to what am I gonna do there like it, it wasn't something that I didn't waste a lot of time I I very uh as soon as I had the tools to start working towards my goal I did basically Maybe a better way to do it would be like you go back and just tell them it all works out. Your yeah, just be cool, now. man. Yeah, <laughs> just be cool. Yeah, invest in uh, LaCroix. <laughs> I think that's a perfect my note. My only to... advice to myself. <laughs> I think that's a perfect note to end on. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank, <laughs> Thank you for you. finding some time. Thank you for sitting down with us. Thank you, Eleven Howard. We are good. Nice. Nice.